Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Good Pods, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As for our social media, I am on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as Let's Talk Micro, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, and I have an email address which is letstalkmicro at outlook.com. So please subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, leave a review if the app allows you to do so. And if you have any feedback, any topic suggestions, please go ahead and send those via social media or via email. Any feedback, any suggestions, they are always welcome and appreciated. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode of Let's Talk Micro, please go ahead and do so. It was a great episode about Marburg virus with Dr. Katerina Miraglia. And Dr. Miraglia, she's a professor, she teaches microbiology at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth. And her background is as you know, she is a medical laboratory scientist. And she published a review article in 2019 about Marburg viruses. And she did that because, you know, she saw what was going on with Ebola and she wanted to make sure that her fellow medical laboratory scientists, you know, they had an understanding about these type of viruses. So I really applaud the effort about making sure that we're on the same page, you know, provided information. It is always great. As I always said in this podcast, sometimes, you know, we get overwhelmed by information and we're so busy with our work and, you know, trying to find articles here and there or listening to the news or reading articles. So it's always nice with someone in the profession Uh, they take the initiative and they do something like this. So we talked about the virus, you know, as always breaking it down, you know, with viruses, you know, you talk about things like DNA or RNA, you know, mode of entry, transmission, any prevention, treatment. So it was a great episode. So definitely, if you haven't checked it out, please go ahead and do so. So in today's episode, I am going over a topic that I cover about two years ago which is Molditoff MS. And I am going, I am covering it again for some reasons, you know. If you listen to this podcast, you know that recently I did a, a webinar. Uh, maybe you saw, you saw me promoting it through social media. So I did a webinar for the American Society for Clinical Laboratory Science, which is ASCLS, about Molditoff. So it was good to talk, you know, about it from the from the point of view of a medical laboratory scientist to go over the components. That way everyone in the community is familiar with it. Maybe you might not be too familiar outside of microbiology. You might not know what it is. So I did that webinar to talk to the medical laboratory scientists and anyone that wanted to sign up for it so they could get a better understanding about what is Malditoff MS and you know how is it used in the lab, how it has helped us And at the same time, you know, with advantages, uh, what type of advantages it has brought, and also what type of disadvantages it has brought. So I think it had a great reception, you know, it had great feedback. And since by now, this podcast has more followers than it used to, I thought it would be a good time to kind of just talk about it again. That way new listeners, you know, can, can benefit from this. Maybe you're uh, a new medical laboratory scientist, uh, you know, a recent graduate, 
uh, you're a student, uh, or you might not be familiar with Molotov MS at all. So I think now is a good time to talk about it again. Um, uh, like I said, now Let's Talk Micro has new followers. Maybe you're just listening to the recent episodes. You haven't got back, you know, gone back to the old content. So, and you know, you're upcoming in the community. You're you're recently starting to study medical laboratory sciences or, or microbiology. I think this can benefit everyone, not only the medical laboratory scientists. So let's go ahead and talk about Malditoff MS. So what I'm going to be doing is, in this episode, I'm going to be going over the components, you know, how it works, how it helps the lab, um, talk a little bit about the how things are done in, in clinical micro, you know, how the workflow is and how cultures are read and and how Malditoff applies to the labor to the to the work that we do in clinical microbiology. And then on a second episode, I will be talking about the advantages and disadvantages. So the pros and cons. So maybe you might have heard of Malditoff MS or you might not know about it. If you're a medical laboratory scientist, and if you work in a large facility and you work in microbiology, you might work with it or might have worked with it. Or at the very least, maybe you heard about it. So definitely it's, it's a trending topic. It has changed things, you know, it has, it has changed the way we do things in the laboratory. And this is a method that is used for the identification of microorganisms. It identifies bacteria, both aerobic and anaerobic, yeast, mycobacteria, and nocardia. And it reduces the time it takes to get an identification of an organism. So I thought it would be good to kind of, for people that work outside of, of clinical micro and you're listening to this, or if you're just getting started in a, in a lab, I just wanted to kind of go over it a little bit on, on how the whole identification system works with traditional methods. So if you work in a, in a clinical microbiology lab, you're familiar with this, bear with me. So this is for the benefit of everyone. But as you know, in, in the lab, we have, uh, we have systems and instruments, right? Like the, like the Vitec or Microscan, and they have no relation to the podcast. And you will typically uh, set up your sample in, in them, right? Some sort of suspension. And then you put like an identification card or some sort of test system. And then those will take hours, right? Uh, with Vitec, typically from anywhere from four to eight hours, you can get an identification on an organism, and that is for bacteria. And then if we have yeast, you know, it can take up to 24 hours. So you're basically setting those up, and then they will be read the next day, for the most part. And that is because the way that the microbiology lab is set up, it's a little bit different from other areas of the lab, like hematology or chemistry. Whereas, you know, if you're a generalist or, have, or if you have worked as a generalist, the person that's coming on the next shift, so if you're on first shift, the person coming on the, on the evening shift, you know, they come in at 2.30 p.m. or 3, they pretty much have the same training as you. So you're reading diffs, you know, you're doing body fluid cell counts, you're doing a type and screen, you're doing a cross match or you're doing some sort of chemistry test, the person that's coming to relieve you, they have the same training. So you can go ahead and, you know, typically there's an overlap between shifts, like about 30 minutes. So at that time when that person comes in, 
you can already have finished what you're working on. You start working on your pending log and then that person takes over. They start reading slides, you know, doing this, continuing blood bank testing, doing chemistry testing, etc. But that's not the way that it works in microbiology. The training, not the training, the way that it is set up, it's a little bit different. So, for example, a lot of times, you know, cultures, they're read primarily on first shift. You know, some hospital, they do have some, some rotation system in place where maybe like urine cultures are read on second and third shift. But other, other than that, you know, uh, sample cultures like, uh, like wound cultures or respiratory cultures, they are read on first shift. So that means that any testing that you set up, the person coming in the next day will continue reading it. So that's something that's different. So going back to the systems, you know, you have things like Vitec or Microscan, or you have some rapid testing where the test is, you know, it takes about four hours. So people typically will set it up in the morning and then maybe at lunchtime they will read it. And if you're setting it up later than that, you might have to maybe stay over because once again, we go back to the person that's coming in on second shift. Maybe they're not trained in wound cultures or they're not trained in respiratory culture. So they don't know how to read that test. So that's one thing, one area where micro it's a little different from other areas of the lab. So you have these traditional methods that they already take hours. So basically that ID is being released the next day. That is not the case with Molotov MS. The ID takes minutes, right? So that's something, if you're hearing it right, it's just great. You're getting an ID in minutes versus the, a day. So that's, that's, that's a big difference right there. And granted, I will, I will talk more about the, the setup of Molotov MS. So when you say minutes, right, it's provided that it, it's depending on the amount of samples. Because when I go over the components, you'll see that if you set multiple samples and you have like a full target slide, and I will talk more about that, the whole thing, you know, can take about an hour. But however, you know, that is still faster than, than a day, right? So let's go ahead and talk about uh, what is Molitov. So Molitov MS stands for Matrix Assisted Laser Desorption Ionization Time of Flight Mass spectrometry and it has several components so it involves the use of mass spectrometry and let's go back to our right our chemistry class our chemistry courses so mass spectrometry it's a tool for measuring the charge to mass ratio of molecules so in of MS you get a sample that is mixed with a matrix and a matrix is a substance that ionizes the proteins. And then you use a laser to excite the chemical functional groups that are included in the proteins of an organism. And when the laser is applied, the matrix absorbs energy, transferring heat to the sample proteins and creating ions. So the matrix ionizes the molecules you know, the, the, the laser is providing the energy and desorption. And then those ions, they are separated on a tube that is referred to as the flight tube. The ions, they are measured using a detector. So the lighter the ions, the faster they will travel in the tube. 
And once they get to that detector, you know, a mass spectrum is produced using a mass to charge ratio. And this spectrum is compared with known bacteria and fungal spectra that are stored in the database. And that's how identification is obtained. So let's go ahead and recap this component. So Molotov matrix assisted laser desorption ionization time of flight mass spectrometry. It uses mass spectrometry and it has a time of flight tube. That's where the, you know, your ions travel. You have a matrix that's added to a sample. And then that matrix is going to ionize that sample, which happens when the laser that's in the system, you know, it points to that sample and then you get energy and then the matrix transfers energy and ionizes the molecules. And then those molecules travel through the tube, up the tube, to that ion detector where a spectrum is created based on the mass to charge ratio. And you, you, know, you have a database of known organisms like, you know, like E. coli, Klebsiella, you know, your gram positive cocci, your yeast. And then that produces an identification. So now that you know what the components are, and what Molotov MS, MS stands for, let's go ahead and talk about how it works in more detail. And there are two main manufacturers that have no relation to this podcast uh, for Molotov, which are the Moldy Biotyper from Broker and the Bitech MS from Bumerio. Once again, they have no relation to the podcast. So I'm more familiar with the Bitech MS, which is the one that I work with. But both systems, you know, they have the same principle, they have the same components, and that's what I'm going to be going over. So I mentioned that you have a, a sample that is mixed with a matrix. So let's start with basics. That sample is it's placed on something that is called your target slide. And there are some variations with the manufacturer. And you, you hear some terms like acquisitions, for example, with the Vitec MS. Your target slide has three acquisitions, and each acquisition has you can put 16 samples in it. So that brings it brings it to a total of 48. Um, when you are testing the acquisitions, right? So the re the results are released after the testing is completed. So even if you get the spectra of one sample, if we have five samples your samples, you know, your identifications are going to be released when all five samples are done. And these type of systems, you know, they are, they communicate with the LIS where you can get your, your IDs to be released to your LIS. So that's, you know, that works very well. And typically with the acquisitions or the, you know, the, that particular area, it's like a single time use. So you try not to be wasteful and maybe if you have multiple samples, Go ahead and set them up before you test them on the instrument uh, because if you use it for one then you cannot use that acquisition again so you have a sample you put it on something that is called your target slide and then you go ahead and use a ma the matrix which as i said you know it it ionizes the molecules so we can get a little bit technical but the matrix you know it contains alpha cyano 4 hydroxycinamic acid or CHCA. So you might hear the word chica. 
and you apply this to your sample and you also have a calibrator strain that you test along with your samples and this is like an E. coli strain and different procedures for the manufacturers but the bottom line is that this calibration this calibrator strain has to pass if not the whole acquisition of tests fails however you know this can be an easy fix where you can maybe reapply that calibrator and rerun your samples because that happens for for various reasons you know either maybe you didn't apply your calibrator um, or you didn't properly put your sample into target slide and with the target slide and you can definitely using using a search engine you can look it up so it has some you know uh, small circles and that's where you actually gonna apply your sample so and this is done with a loop you get a colony from your organism and then you apply it to the sample and then apply your matrix and when you do that you know you let it dry and then you place it in the instrument and with the both manufacturers you have some differences which is that with Vitec MS you use formic acid for yeast and this is used for extraction so what you would do is you get your sample you apply it to the spot on the target slide and then apply the formic acid let it dry and then apply your matrix so with broker um, you apply the formic acid on all the samples so that's the difference and i mentioned that you can you know you apply your colony using a loop there are some devices uh where you can pick the colony and then put it on the on the target slide so there are some variations there but you you know you have to make sure that you have a good quality of sample that it's a you know it's a fresh sample typically within 18 24 hours can be a little bit longer for yeast um, sometimes mucoid samples like Klebsiella, those can fail you know it can they can fail to provide an id so you have to be careful how you apply those and i found that with me you know for me it works that you know, there's a recommendation that using a swab you remove a little bit of the mucoidness of the colony and then using a loop you know uh spot your sample on the target slide uh, for me you know it works that if i get a loop and i kind of wiggle it a little bit in, in the mucoid colony and then i place my sample on the target slide that works for me you can also you know and you hear the term spotting that's when you're applying your sample to the target slide so if i'm saying spotting that's what i'm talking about so you can also you know spot it multiple times to make sure you know that you get an id and that's when when you have samples like like that like clepsila they're mucoid so depending on on the system that you're using once you have added your formic acid for all samples if you're using broker or you have added it for your yeast on the ms on the vitec ms and then that has dried and then you ultimately add your matrix and that has dried then you can go ahead and place your target slide in the instrument so there now the sample has the matrix so the laser is pointed at the sample right that energy it's you know given by the laser the matrix ionizes the molecules and then the molecules travel up the time of flight to and then you know to the detector and then you know a spectrum is produced and that is compared to a database 
of known spectra. And like I said, while you can get it, while it is true that an ID is produced within minutes, if you're using a target slide, let's say that you fill all the acquisitions, um, ultimately, and maybe your sample is in the last acquisition, you know, it can take like an hour for all those IDs to be completed, but it's still faster than other methods. Like any other system, right? Any test, you know, every test, every system, you know, they have some sort of limitations and multi-tough MS is, it's not, you know, it's not the exception to this. And also with limitations, you know, there are some factors that affect you getting a successful ID. Uh, and a, a very basic one is maybe failure to add the formic acid or failure to add the, the, the matrix. And those are easy fixes. You know, you can just repeat it and then get the ID. Also the quality of the sample, like I said, mucoid colonies, sometimes, you know, pinpoint colonies that you cannot get enough sample while you're spreading it. That can affect, you know, that can prevent you from getting an ID. Um, as far as the, but those are, you know, quality of sample and, and user errors. But as far as the instrument, um, you know, it cannot differentiate between organisms that are closely related, like E. coli and Shigella. So you will get it with a common saying, um, you know, it cannot differentiate between both of those, but, you know, you use your morphology and your biochemicals for that. And then those of you that are in microbiology or as MLS, you know, MLS medical laboratory scientists, you know, we went over this in school, but, you know, you have organisms that are closely related and they are classified, you know, they are um, put together in something called groups or complexes, like Enterobacter cloacae complex, you know, that, that it has organisms like Enterobacter cloacae, Absuri, Kobe, also Burkholderia sepatia complex. Um, it cannot differentiate between Acromobacter cyclosocidans or denitrificans. And also, it cannot differentiate between uh, subspecies of uh, Streptococcus dysgalactiae. Uh, but those, you know, like Acromobacter, you will have to do an, an ID by another method. Uh, with dysgalactia, you can just release it as Streptococcus dysgalactiae. But when it comes to like the complex, which for the benefit of the audience, if you're just a student or these are organisms that are closely related and they are put together in something called a complex or group. As I mentioned, Burkholderia, um, Enterobacter cloacae, so Burkholderia sepatia uh, complex, Enterobacter cloacae complex. So in the cases that you get uh, low discrimination between two organisms of that complex, you can just release the ID as complex. So if you get a low discrimination between Enterobacter cloacae and Absuri, let's say, you can release that ID as Enterobacter cloacae complex. And, you know, the database of these instruments, you know, the database of organisms, you know, it's, it's, it's quite big. So more than likely you will get an identification, but it doesn't mean that you will always get one. Even if you use a nice quality sample, you know, you follow the procedure, you add your matrix, you might not get an identification and you might have to either, you know, send your sample to another place if you don't have a way to identify that organism. So it happens. So even if you minimize user errors and you follow the procedure, sometimes, you know, some colonies, they just won't identify. And, you know, that's common in the lab. So you will have to find another method.
but overall it's it's a it's a great way to identify organisms you get the identification faster and definitely it has a lot of advantages and disadvantages unfortunately not a lot but there are some uh, mostly in the way that it has changed the way that we work things and the thinking of technologies and that is something that i will talk about in the next episode about Maulitov ms And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about Molotov MS. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. If you listened to the series about Molotov two years ago, first, thank you for listening, and then thank you for listening again. I think it is a good time to talk about it again. Um, we get, you know, Let's Talk Micro gets new listeners. Maybe now you're going through school. Maybe now you're working in a lab. And sometimes, you know, when we follow podcasts, maybe we don't check the older episodes. So this was two years ago. And this is a trending topic. So thank you for the support. Thank you for listening. And please continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. You do such great work. So as always, stay motivated. Stay safe. And of course, continue talking micro until the next time. Bye.